Hello, and welcome to the Engineers Collective, the podcast by New Civil Engineer. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your colleagues. It's free to download on all podcast sites, or you can listen at newcivilengineer.com forward slash podcast. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are Advancing Infrastructure. episode of the Engineers Collective, where we'll be looking at the growing importance of placemaking in the world of infrastructure. My name's Claire Smith and I'm editor of New Civil Engineer and joining me today I have NCU features editor Nadine Badu and two special guests, DRM Director and National Infrastructure Commission Design Group Chair Sadie Morgan and Unseen Architecture Founding Director and Design Group Member Madeleine Kessler. Sadie is Co-Founding Director of DRM alongside Alex DeRiker and Philip Marsh. Over a 25-year career, Sadie has played a key role in the advocacy of exemplary design and architecture through her professional practice and advisory roles. In the New Year Honours 2020, she was awarded an OBE by the Queen for services to design advocacy in the built environment. And Madeline is trained as both an architect and an engineer. With over a decade of practice experience, her interests lie in the interface between people, infrastructure and public space. As a member of the inaugural National Infrastructure Commission Young Professionals Panel, she explored the relationship between infrastructure and loneliness. In 2019, she was awarded the Reba Rising Star Award, and in 2020, she was named in the Architects Journal 40 Under 40. So, welcome to you both. Now, it is just over a year since the National Infrastructure Commission published its design principles, which sets out four key principles of climate, people, place and value. So, can you tell us why the design principles are needed for infrastructure in the UK? Well, the NIC, when we started doing the National Infrastructure Assessment, we're really interested in understanding the industry's perception of good design. So we did a, we did a literature review and a, and a, a number of bits of research. Uh, and what came back was really interesting from, um, from that research, which was to say that actually a lot of people in the industry don't, A, understand what good design means, and uh, often the sort of perception that it runs around aesthetics or what things look like. And, and actually, we've been trying to say good design is about problem solving. It's, much, it's a much more sort of integrated understanding of how projects work and, and the outcomes of projects rather than just what they look like. Of course, that's important. The other thing to say is that um, the industry really thought that design you know, wasn't there necessarily their responsibility. And, you know, design was something that... Uh, other people did, and that actually design added uh, not only to time, but to the cost of projects. So we had a lot of myths that we needed to bust. And so we decided that one way of doing that was to help the industry by putting together a set of principles that could be really easily used. So not not technical, you know, language, but language that everybody can use so that, you know, whether you were the CEO or the or, or a technician, you felt that design was your responsibility. And and because we definitely believe that if you solve problems early on uh, and you think about um, the principles that we've put in place in particular, but you think about those things throughout the 
from from the beginning to the end of a project, you not only save money and time, but you you produce infrastructure that really does uh, work for people, place, and uh, adds value in a way that I think. Um, it doesn't just you know we're not just talking about money but we're talking about the bigger values that we all want to share yeah I mean it was super interesting what came out of that uh, literature review particularly about this sort of deep-rooted perception among industry professionals that design adds cost and contributes to time delays Um, and then that literature review sort of presented a whole series of case studies which proved that there was a lot of evidence to the contrary Um, so it's really about getting everyone to understand this holistic understanding of design so that we can create infrastructure that works for everyone and brings in projects on time to cost and provides you know spaces for people to use enhances the place and I think it's it's kind of getting over this disconnect between decision makers and the design industry and to get everyone sort of centered around the same page and, you know, to say, come on, we all share the same goals. We all want this piece of infrastructure uh, to really work. And how do we align those values and how do we sort of guide everyone um, along the process? So the Design Principles Guidance advocates the appointment of a design champion for every nationally significant infrastructure project. What's the purpose of this role and why is it so important to the delivery of a project's design objectives? Well, we've, we, we found that uh, projects that have a design champion at board level really do embed uh, good design principles throughout. So if you look at the Olympics, for example, you know, we, we highlight that as one of our great successes. Sir Nicholas Sorota was uh, on the board. He was the champion of good design. So when difficult decisions are being made, all too often design is is one of those things that is sort of left behind you know the focus comes away from the importance of good design and we you know if if it if there isn't that champion i think at board level saying this really matters and this really matters within as as madeline so successfully said as as a kind of holistic part of a project in the end you know we remember our projects that leave that wonderful legacy that deliver on on you know make places that you know work well for people and uh, and I think the olympics is a great example of that and uh, and my absolute belief is that you know having that champion at board level really did make a difference and if we can if we can make sure that every project of national significance has that level of leadership in good design then I think it'll go a long way in helping to embed um the principles that we've put forward so are you actually seeing projects appoint people into that role at the moment or is that something you're still waiting for people to follow up on well we're going to be working with the IPA and uh, so as you know the government has uh, responded really positively accepted our recommendations so now we just have to put that into place so the answer is well, you know that's that's the kind of net the next step is working out how we make that happen and to ensure that the job spec for that person you know is reflective of the ambition of what you know what what we want that person to do and so we're going to be working i you know hopefully with the ipa and and industry to encourage and help them understand what that what the role of that person should be yeah i think it's really exciting that this is actually happening because all too often recommendations get made and they don't get followed through and so it's it's really incredible that actually the government have taken on board the design recommendations and, you know, things will change and we'll learn from uh, previous experiences. 
particularly because infrastructure projects are so complex that I think all too often it's really easy to get sort of contained in your silo and sort of not look at what's going on outside. And this design champion is like an opportunity to bring all these different um, sort of fact- factors together um, and really kind of unify a vision. So before we come on to the placemaking principle, can you talk us through why you adopted the other three principles of climate, people and value? This was on the back of a really huge piece of research. So we met and talked to a whole um, diverse range of people within the, within the industry to really understand what, what it was that was important. And these um, four principles really, you know, were the ones that sort of bubbled up through. And we felt that if, you, if we wanted to have a clear statement of intent, then having six or seven or eight different things everybody had to think about was just too confusing. And climate, people, places and value really did encapsulate we felt all of those things that the hundreds of people we spoke to felt was really important. And Madeleine, what did you want to add? Um, Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely on point. Like basically all our conversations sort of kept coming back to these sort of four core themes. Um, And as soon as we started to distill them down into those four themes, um, it almost seemed so obvious, but actually to get there um, was this kind of iterative process of um, understanding what is important for design. And I think ultimately we were looking at how design really is more than just aesthetics. You know, it's this process and a set of values um, or principles that sort of guide you through that process. So it was really distilling down what those core principles and values are that help us to design better infrastructure and better places. One thing we did, uh, we we did have quite a few conversations about was how to, you know, which one should come first. Yes. And uh, and I think in the end, we all agreed that the climate emergency was such that actually all of the principles really did uh, tie back to that kind of holistic view of the world and, and how as an industry we can ensure um, that, you know, we do the right thing for our planet. And so what were some of those wider ideas that didn't make the final cut in terms of the four core principles? Um, I, I don't, I, I don't remember that. I mean, in a, (laughs) this is a really good question, but it's one that, um, personally, I think really those four, those four values and principles just kept coming through. And I think what we've managed to do is encapsulate a number of different ideas, you know, whether it be that, you know, skills or, you know, the sort of deliver the actual delivery of projects or that there, I think there are conversations about um, the process versus the strategy. And um, so what we tended to do was to leave out the processes and just try to make this as high level as possible in the hope that it would be taken up and appreciated and used in the spirit, you know, it was presented. So what we find is a, a lot of, you know, we understand and we're really pleased that, you know, Highways England, Network Rail, High Speed 2, you know, a lot of uh, projects are running uh, and do have their own design visions. And this really was trying to be a, a holistic umbrella, if you like, that um, would, would really help different organisations, either with principles of their own or without, to sort of come together and really, as an industry, have a collective vision for our national infrastructure. Yeah, I think we were really conscious that we didn't want to just create another checklist that people were marking themselves against. And it was really like, how do you distill these core values so that people really take them on board holistically? Because it's so hard to 
say what good design is. And so it is about how do you actually get people to buy into these values and understand what they are in all their work at every stage of a project as well, you know, from the most strategic stages at the beginning of a project, right the way down to detailed design or um, delivering a project. So it was something that needed to speak to so many different audiences and people um, that we were, we, I think a lot of our time was spent on just trying to really distill the message down as something that people could easily remember um, and take with them. So moving on to today's focus of placemaking, we often think of this as something associated with public spaces and buildings. Why is it so important for infrastructure too? Well, you know, our infrastructure, I think, you know, well-designed infrastructure gives places a sense of identity. That's the first thing to say. If you, if you think about, you know, the great infrastructure projects of the day, they really do say something about, you know, our national identity and, and they reflect the places that they're within. So I think it's, you know, it's incredibly important that projects, um, when they're built, shouldn't just mitigate the uh, relationship that they have with their surroundings, but actually they enhance it. And so, you know, we should make active interventions to enrich our ecosystems, I think, you know, with our places. We should, you know, be delivering net biodiversity gain and we should contribute to restoration of wildlife and, you know, make sure that any irreplaceable natural habitats are, are you know, really protected and, and 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 considered within the design. So I think that we, you know, when it comes to place making, uh, our infrastructure has such a big part to play, and perhaps one that we haven't really appreciated until we see the the end result. Yeah, it's making infrastructure just work that much harder for us. And often, because infrastructure projects have such a long kind of timeline of of being built, and it can be really hard to sort of show people exactly the benefits um, of sort of thinking about design more holistically to enhance a place and uh, really contribute to a place. But if you go on the National Infrastructure Commission website, there's a series of videos that we've done about each of the principles and Lucy Musgrave talks about place and she uses Victoria Embankment as an example, uh, which is really interesting because that's, you know, where Bazalgette um, through the sewers sort of provided also a place for people to come in the city, like, you know, an outdoor place that anyone can use. And it's sort of not until 100 or 200 years later that we're beginning to now do the same thing with Tideway. But, you know, when you you revisit these places, it sort of seems like a no-brainer, but for some reason, uh, we've not really managed to get the kind of support and investment from a whole kind of client body and design team to, to do this all the time. It's more that it's happened by chance rather than through planning, which is what you're hoping to do now. So, Madeline, you've previously spoken about the role infrastructure can play in well-being and combating loneliness. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think we were just having a, a really interesting conversation about that just before the podcast. But um, essentially, loneliness, it's this, um, it's not actually that you are physically alone, but it's a feeling of being alone. Um, and as part of the Young Professionals panel, which uh, Sadie set up, um, we were researching intergenerational shifts in our, our kind of responses to infrastructure um, for as a younger generation. And I looked uh, further in depth at the relationship between infrastructure and loneliness and whether there are any ways that we could be designing our infrastructure to help create cities which are less lonely. I mean, there's some quite sort of startling statistics, which were reported by YouGov poll a few years ago to say that 75% of Gen Z say they feel lonely compared to only 37% of people aged 55 and over. Um, And I'm sure that's probably gone up with the lockdown. 
So, you know, it's, you know, loneliness has like significant impacts on our mental and physical health. You know, there are studies showing that if you're lonely, you're more likely to die from a heart attack and things like that. So, you know, if we can combat loneliness uh, through good infrastructure design, we can really improve the livelihoods of the people who live in our cities. Um, And I think once upon a time, our cities were designed as places for people to naturally bump into each other. But um, increasingly, they've been sort of designed as these more lonely spaces where you don't necessarily bump into one another. It's very hard to meet other people. Their loneliness lab's done a lot of really interesting research into this um, about how we can sort of tackle loneliness through the physical design of our urban spaces and infrastructure, I think, has a like huge role to play within that. And what role do you think diversity and inclusion should have in terms of achieving good placemaking, particularly in diverse urban communities? Obviously, there are lots of, you know, different requirements for different you know, parts of society. Yeah. So as part of the principles, we've also got these three lenses that you look at the principles through. So they appreciate the wider context, engage meaningfully and continue to measure and improve. And I think the engage meaningfully is like a particularly important one because people who live in their local environment, they know their environment better than anyone else. So it's really important that we sort of engage with the people who are living there, um, but also that we ensure that what we're building is infrastructure that can be used by anyone, you know, that it's accessible, that anyone can use it, and also that people can take ownership over their sort of public spaces and uh, local infrastructure. Yeah, there was a a recent diversity study done by the Wolf Institute in Cambridge, which I think is the, they said was the largest uh, known study of diversity in the UK. And that was quite interesting. So it was looking at diversity um, sort of right now, um, sort of in the lockdowns and whether people will go back to the workplace and things like that. And actually they were saying that there is a need for people to sort of leave their houses to meet other people from outside of their bubbles and the importance of that in Um, sort of creating cities which are more diverse and welcoming and infrastructure obviously feeds into all of that as well. Yeah I think I mean you know Maddie's right you know we have to start engaging so much better uh, with our infrastructure you know we're we're getting better within our sort of built environment our homes and our, our residential developments but infrastructure really has a long way to go I think to really understand how to engage meaningfully so not just like you know, here's uh, here's what we've designed. Do you like it? Yes or no? What color should it be? You know that if you if you, as Maddie said, ask you know local people using the language that they understand and making sure that you're asking questions that they feel that they have they you know they they can answer meaningfully uh, and embed that within the process, then you you'll end up with uh, infrastructure that works so much better for the people that it that it intends to um, operate for. And it also will embed itself so much better within the local environment and people will accept it. You know, I think, um, you know, when it comes to big infrastructure projects, you know, there are big risks around planning. There's big risks about opposition. Well, you, you people oppose things if they feel they haven't been a part of the decision-making process. And, and that is something that I think has to happen really, really early on, not just when the design is finished and done, but right at the beginning of, the, of that process. And there are really inventive ways, I think, that we can, you know, start... We can we can think about um, doing that. 
Yeah, I also think because um, infrastructure projects are like such long-term projects often, there's a lot of opportunities to sort of test ideas um, with the local community to help them become a part of that process of seeing what works and what doesn't. And to, as Sadie's saying, incorporate them into that design process rather than seeing community engagement as a tick box exercise, utilising it as a really useful tool that can make our infrastructure work better for us. So it's really about taking people along with you rather than doing something to a community. So what difference does achieving good placemaking mean for the people actually use the infrastructure at the end? I think good placemaking means that firstly it works well. So I often feel like the, the worst pieces of infrastructure are the ones that you remember like bank station because it's just impossible to find your way anywhere. Um, so I think a good piece of infrastructure, it just intuitively works well. But I think added to that, it really improves your quality of life, which is one of the core kind of founding themes of the National Infrastructure Commission is that infrastructure should improve your quality of life. And I think through good placemaking, we can really do that because we can provide spaces in the city which are lacking at the moment. So, you know, spaces to gather, to meet, to just be alone. And yeah, I think it provides um, this kind of additional function that enhances your daily life. Yeah, I think that sort of sense of joy and and uh you know is some is something that we we often forget you know that that actually bringing something that lifts our spirits is 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 so very important but also places where we feel safe you know we need to think harder about how our infrastructure helps improve air quality and our health and well-being it may you know it it, it um, encourages us to, us to be more active and you know there's a lot of a lot of aspects of our lives that infrastructure, I think, impacts in ways that we probably don't imagine, but actually can go a long way to improving them. And are there specific benefits for clients too, in terms of achieving good placemaking? Yes, I mean, I'd go back to the, you know, the sort of planning and the and the sort of general for support for projects. I think if you take people along and you create places that which people uh, feel a sense of, you know, that have a sense of identity that people feel sort of invested in, then actually the process is so much easier and better. And the outcomes are something that everybody can be proud of and you can reflect back. And, you know, if you look at the really good positive bits of infrastructure or placemaking that have happened, they, you know, they add value in, you know, to, to the surrounding areas in ways that people perhaps didn't imagine, you know, at, at the beginning of the process. And so I think that, you know, as we move into a decade where many big infrastructure projects are being designed and delivered and, we start to understand the value of making sure that our infrastructure delivers on these four principles. Clients will see that actually this really does help expedite the process of delivering infrastructure, which classically has taken a very long time because it has to go through very many different reviews. You know, we I presented these to the uh, National Planning Inspectorate and they were absolutely delighted. They were like, oh, my goodness me, you know, this is wonderful. These are the things we've been trying to encourage clients to do for such a long time. If only they would understand that these things will help uh, you know, help the pro help them uh, get projects through. Um, you know, the planning process. You know, in in particular, then uh, their lives would be made made much better. But you know, I think the the outcomes are better for everybody. 
Yeah, it sort of brings value at every stage, doesn't it, to the client? Because you've got the value through the the sort of uh, planning process, but also once the infrastructure, piece of infrastructure has finished being built, you've got the upkeep of that piece of infrastructure. And if it's a place that people take pride over um, and some, a sense of ownership, then, you know, it will be better maintained and it will contribute to, you know, a better city. So, so can you give us some examples of projects that have done placemaking really well? Well, um, I think Japan is really interesting in terms of how it uh, looks at infrastructure in terms of placemaking. So Tokyo is like a really densely populated city. Um, You know, I'm sure you've seen photos where you might have been um, of these huge kind of towers and it's very little sort of outdoor space. And as a result, pieces of infrastructure uh, become an excuse or to uh, sort of have a park, for example. So you might have a sewage treatment plants which then provides a plant on top of it because suddenly you do need a bit of a space in the city to provide that sewage treatment and at the same time as providing that plant actually you're also providing a space for people to become more educated about their infrastructure uh, which is also really important to know actually what does happen to your wastewater and Tokyo's also it's also got places like um, you know a seawall might become a space for allotments for people who are living in apartments without much outdoor space to grow plants and vegetables and I think just these kind of dual uses of infrastructure is really interesting as an opportunity to provide spaces in the city that are currently lacking. And Sadie any any examples that you wanted to add? Yeah you know I I would I would agree with the sort of doubling up when when our infrastructure is working really hard you know go back to the Victoria embankment you know that is that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the sewage system what an extraordinary uh, addition to our city that is you know for those of us who walk up and down it um, you know at the moment through lockdown you know uh, how wonderful to have that sort of you know that that space and and um, and place and if you you know there are numerous examples I think popping up all, all around the world now whether it be the the um, ski slope on top of the waste incineration plant you know in Denmark or as uh, as Maddie said in Tokyo you know but the Dutch have been doing it for years, you know, cycle routes on top of uh, flood defences, you know, making sure that actually when we build a piece of infrastructure, it's it's giving something back uh, to the place and uh, and those within us, you know, the worst bits of infrastructure, you know, just designed for the car that just make li- our lives impossible because we're, you know, we're trying to cross over under, you know, that if you, if you, I'm not going to name names, but you can imagine those places in the country where, um, which were designed for the car and, and the, the sort of leftover interstitial spaces are just so awful, those underpasses that nobody wants to be in, you know, the quality of um, you know the detriment to one's daily journey if one has to cross the city is is absolutely terrible so you know if you flip that on its head and you said okay how, how do we make it how do we make a city or make our infrastructure that that prioritizes you know people place and the climate then all we can do is is make is make and make and improve and I think that that's got to be something that we all you know um you know that's got to be an ambition for everybody yeah and I think we constantly need to be challenging ourselves to rethink pieces of infrastructure um so the Coppen Hill example that Sadie mentioned is super interesting because that's a waste to energy plants um which was built by Bjarke Engels group um, about a year ago and 
the technology in that plant has become significantly cleaner. So instead of emitting uh, sort of toxins through the chimney, it now emits steam. And so the architect took that as an opportunity to rethink what this building could be. Could it provide uh, sort of outdoor spaces and amenity spaces for the city? And they utilised the height of the plant in a very flat city to provide a ski slope. And I, I think that kind of constant questioning of, okay, like our infrastructure is becoming cleaner. What does that now mean that we can do with this building? Rather than this kind of traditional perception of, oh, a waste like an energy plant, like no one will want to go there. Um, we'll just build it in a, a massive box or a shed. Well, I won't push you on any names of specific schemes that haven't done placemaking so well. But, <laughs> but obviously, you know, how important is it for organisations and sectors to share both the successes and failures during the design phase and across the life of a project to ensure that we don't have examples, you know, we've, as you've mentioned, of schemes that don't do placemaking so well? I think that's a really good question. You know, one thing we're very bad at is sharing our failures. And I know that there are organisations, you know, Major Projects Association does really good cross-industry um, uh, opportunities to sort of share where things haven't gone wrong, but people don't like to admit to their mistakes. You know, it's a sort of, it's naturally difficult, I think, to give people safe places or spaces in, w- in which to uh, admit uh, when they haven't done something that well. But, you know, in the end, it's all too often very obvious <laughs> for all of us to see when things haven't been uh, successfully done. Um, and it is really important and, and we have to we have to learn. And even in, you know, even projects, you know, single projects can learn from earlier phases. You know, as, as Maddie quite rightly says, big infrastructure projects take years and, you know, lessons that are, need to be learned from phases one, two to three, uh, I think is still incredibly valid. But what we do need to do as an organisation, as an industry is to be better at taking risks because, it's easy to say, I know, but we have to be better at, at trying things out, whether that's in parallel to the, the programme as is, but not just keep relying on what we know because we've done it before. Therefore, we have to do it again. We have to, as Maddie said, keep pushing ourselves, keep experimenting, inventing and, and uh, innovating. But we also have to admit when things haven't gone wrong. And it's that, you know, you know, we talk about flexibility in our infrastructure, you know, when we talk about climate, you know, how do we make sure that if we're continually checking and thinking and and measuring our infrastructure, then it has to have the flexibility to change. You know, we have to make, we have to try to make infrastructure that if it isn't delivering, we're able to, <laughs> we don't just say, oh dear, that's a shame. You know, <laughs> we, we, we have the ability to improve it and to, to, to make it work better. Yeah, I think um, where infrastructure and placemaking hasn't perhaps worked so well, often I imagine the sort of teams behind delivering that piece of infrastructure have had quite a painful process. Um, And if we sort of work together and sort of listen to one another and align our values and our goals, then hopefully we can have a much kind of more exciting and fun experience of designing these places, Um, but also once they're delivered, you can kind of see that joy that people have taken from the design process within them. Um, And I think the attitude to risk is a a really good point that Sadie raises, because often it's just easier to do nothing than to try something new. And I think we need to get better at saying, you know, it's okay to learn from our mistakes. And um, I think it's been really refreshing over the past year, actually, to see 
um, sort of things happen from more of a bottom-up approach in, in local communities of people just closing off roads with planters and things like that. And um, in London, for example, the speed at which new cycle lanes were suddenly just rolled out um, almost just as a, a way to test what might happen uh, is really exciting. And I think if we can get better at sort of testing ideas and not being so risk averse that it's easier just to do nothing, then we'll create better places. So NCE joined forces with the National Infrastructure Commission last year at the British Construction Industry Awards to celebrate the projects that were already setting the standards in terms of design principles. Sadie, you were instrumental in setting up that award with us. Why is it so important to put a spotlight on projects applying just some of these principles at this stage? Well, you know, there's nothing better than holding up, you know, uh, projects that do things well. You know, we all, uh, A, like to feel that we're improving, but also... I think as a as a sort of benchmark to others, you know, this is what good looks like. And one of the things that we understood from the research that we did early on was that it's, it's not always easy for those people within the infrastructure industry to understand what good does look like. What do we mean by that when we say good design, when we say, you know, it relates well to people, it, it's integrated into place, it's, you know, it's delivering on climate ambition and it's adding value. You know, what, what, do, what does that look like in reality? So one of the ways we thought we could do that is to put this award forward and to say, OK, as an industry, let's highlight best practice. Let's let's look at those projects that are doing things well. You know, as you said, it might be that not every single project is is hitting the bar uh, on all four principles. But, you know, we, we understand as an industry we have some way to go. Um, so let's try and encourage rather than continually say we're not doing well enough. And I, I, I'm a great believer in, you know, as I said, encouraging, uh, you know, the carrot rather than the stick. Of course, we need a bit of stick, but we also like to celebrate our successes when we do things well, um, I think nationally we do we do we have some of the most you know, world class architects engineers, uh, and I think that that that's something to celebrate. So, can you tell us a little bit about the winner of the award too? So, the Leeds Footbridge for the Climate Innovation District, which was commissioned by Situ and designed by Gagarin Studio and DP Squared. What was it that stood out about the project in terms of design compared to the other entries? Well, I think this was about, you know, this is about simplicity. It's about doing more with less, um, you know, and that responds to the questions on climate. You know, it's a, it's a really simple design, but that actually looks very beautiful. It fits in with its context. Um, it, it's thinking about the, the longer lifespan by using, you know, a single material that weathers, that doesn't need um, a lot of maintenance. It's doing, you know, as Maddie said earlier, good infrastructure doubles up. It's not only taking people across, it's taking the district heating system across. You know, it's, it's sort of, it's working really hard. And, um, and I, you know, I, I think it's a small project, yes. You know, and there are lots of very big projects that we could have, you know, we could have chosen. And it's, but I think it's a very sort of simple and easy example of how to do something well how to how to deliver a um a piece of infrastructure that adds value you know within its context but also has this uh, gives it a wonderful sense of identity it's a very you know it's a it's a sort of small landmark and i think it's it's working hard uh, in terms of uh, climate issues so it, it i think it was a it was a good example uh, as our first uh, award as a as a project that, that that touched upon all of the principles 
But I really, you know, I, I believe very much that in the years to come, we will see projects that are really substantial, big, complex projects. And there are a number of them coming forward that we hope really will deliver on uh, on a number of these principles and be really well placed to be uh, highlighted and, and held up as an exemplars to the industry and actually not and, and to the world. I think it was a great winner because it also shows that these design principles aren't just for mega projects. It can be about a small project too. You're quite swift and nimble to apply them. So we're about to open the entries for this year's British Construction Industry Awards. And again, we're partnering with the National Infrastructure Commission on the Design Principles Awards. What are you going to be looking for in this year's entries? Well, you know, I... (laughs) Climate, people, places, value. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite simple. Yeah, it is quite simple. But I think also this sense that uh, projects are working really hard. You know, we we absolutely need to use our resources as as carefully and thoughtfully as we can. And those projects that deliver on all of these principles using the lenses that we've set out, I, I think start, you know, will will it will um inevitably kind of lift themselves to the top. So we're we don't expect every project to have delivered on everything, you know. I, I would really encourage people to put projects forward even if they think oh maybe in this instance we haven't it hasn't totally fulfilled one of the principles what we're looking for is a uh, an opportunity to showcase and highlight projects that are working really hard to deliver on these principles and you know, I would expect in if if we if we start to embed these principles in projects early on now, you know, in the future we will see such huge improvements in the way that we design, deliver and use our infrastructure that this is a really good place to start. Yeah, I think it's design is more than just aesthetics. Um and it's about how are these projects really improving people's lives at every scale, like you were saying, Claire, like you know, infrastructure is a conversation about the city at every scale. So how is it sort of improving someone's day-to-day life? I know through like the warm touch of a nice wooden handrail to how is it actually having a positive impact on our planet and the climate crisis? And like, like Sadie says, of course, you're not going to be able to answer every single question, but we're looking for sort of exemplars um, showcasing pieces of, of these uh, kind of principles. So what are the main barriers to the infrastructure industry really embracing those design principles and the concept of placemaking? Belief that it matters. You know, I, I think that um, we have got to a place where actually the sort of delivery and the cost and the sort of how quickly can you, you know, get something done has sort of overridden the, let's just take a step back and really understand what it is that we're we're producing here and are we are we making something that our the next generation can be proud of are we making something that's not contributing excessively to the climate um crisis are we designing and delivering something that really does make people's lives improve people's quality of life and design is so integral to getting those positive outcomes, but isn't something I think that is as is as widely embedded as it should be. So my sense is is that until everybody understands that they every single person in a major infrastructure infrastructure projects has a responsibility to make sure that our our infrastructure is designed properly and well and everybody is able to do that by using these principles simply you know that i hope 
produced in a way that just reminds people to think about these things every you know every day every time they put pen to paper or you know number in a spreadsheet or whatever it is let's just remind ourselves that, that the outcome and how and what our infrastructure looks like how it impacts on our uh, on its place and and the extra value that it can add not just the kind of pounds pound sign that comes up but what do we mean by value I think will be the the most important cultural shift, if you like, within within the industry. Yeah, it's about sort of aligning our visions, really. And, you know, there's so many different disciplines that work on infrastructure projects. Um, it's really exciting and quite unique, but it's how do we get everyone to sort of talk to one another, communicate with one another and trust one another. Um, and I think that's what we're hoping is that these principles can provide this sort of aligned vision and as Sadie says, the value principle is particularly important because it's about having this kind of greater understanding of value of not just the immediate cost, but also the kind of longer term cost financially and to the planet um, and to the communities that are going to be using this piece of infrastructure. So we've already talked about the role of design champions, but what else can the industry be doing to overcome these barriers that you've just been talking about? Well, you know, use the principles, embed them. And, you know, as I said before, we're working with the IPA to try to sort of see how that can be properly sort of monitored through the life of a project. How You know, how can we make sure that we are properly reviewing projects that, you know, they are subject to design review, that we are, you know, we have um, a sort of critical friend uh, opportunity to help uh, and support uh, big projects and and those working on big projects, you know, our major projects throughout throughout their life cycle. So we're here to help. We think the principles are a really sort of good sort of starting point, and uh, we very much hope that working. You know, we've done a lot of work now with the ICE, um, with as I said, the IPA. There's we have a lot of interest, I think, uh, uh, within the industry to understanding and embedding these principles. We need sort of more joined up voices in the industry. And I think often um, it's about language and how we sort of talk about design and infrastructure um, and getting people to be less scared of design. Um, you know, design isn't just the responsibility of an architect that can then be value engineered out. The design is the responsibility of everyone. And so, yeah, it's really about uh, getting everyone to understand design as something that needs to be thought about holistically and really from the outset um, of these projects. Because if you've got a design, if you've got a really strong design vision or design concept that can help guide so many of the decisions um, as you're going through these projects. And so looking ahead, how do you think the look and feel of infrastructure could evolve in the future as the design principles are more widely adopted? Well, I think, you know, I think we'll see infrastructure projects that really are um, that start from a different value perspective. And because of that, they will fit within their context. You know, they're not going to be looking to the past, but they'll they'll have that wonderful innovation that I think we're so good at. And, And if they are embedded, they'll be embedded properly within place, giving it identity. They'll work well for the their residents and they will be efficient, use less resources and look beautiful. You know, I think that, you know, these, everybody who works in infrastructure wants, you know, wants to create something special and wonderful um, and that works well. And I think that this is such a good opportunity to, 
for us to come together, to work collectively, work cohesively to, you know, to improve the outcomes of and, and the, the really big infrastructure projects that we're delivering, the huge investment that's going into infrastructure. Let's, you know, let's not waste that. You know, let's make sure that we are squeezing every every drop of ambition and vision that we can to create a better and, and, and healthier place for everybody. Yeah, I think it's yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really going to be about these projects working that much harder for us to become, you know, more people centric so that they're really providing places for the people who who live there, that they're contributing to the biodiversity of the local kind of environment, um, that they're really contributing in a positive way towards our climate crisis. And they're, yeah, providing good value um, for for the people who use it um, and pay for it. And I think we're at a really exciting point in our sort of British infrastructure journey. As Sadie says, there's a lot of money being pumped into infrastructure. A lot of people sort of look back nostalgically um, at the Victorian pieces of infrastructure, you know, everything from a beautifully crafted drain cover uh, right away up to a uh, Basel jet sewage system providing spaces along the Victorian embankment. And it feels like we've got a real opportunity now to do something just as exciting and you know we've got an amazing set of skills you know in our infrastructure industry um and it feels like we're in an exciting place to really redefine what infrastructure can be so where do you hope we'll be in 10 years time in terms of infrastructure design what would you like to see happen in that period you know i i i think i would like to see a sort of cultural shift towards you know, valuing different, you know, kind of have placing higher value on these four principles. <laughs> so, um, you know, the way that we cost our infrastructure, the way that we put our business cases together, right from the beginning of how we conceive and think about our infrastructure, I think we really do need to just shift the dial and, and remind ourselves that of why we're doing it and who we're doing it for. Yeah, I think that design hopefully will be really embedded in every piece of infrastructure, every stage of the conversation, um, and really being looked at very holistically from the most strategic stages, guiding us right the way down to that sort of detailed design project delivery stages. And everyone who's part of the process really understanding the importance of design and advocating for it. I think all of us uh, can do more to really ensure that design is embedded in our infrastructure projects and the conversation it needs to come from uh, not just architects and designers, but everyone who's involved in a project. I mean, engineers, great designers as well. And, you know, it's all about how do we bring together all these resources and skill sets we've got and really align that vision uh, to create better pieces of infrastructure. So it just becomes an intuitive part of what we do that you don't actually need the design principles anymore because people just do it anyway. Oh, yes, there's a good goal. That would be amazing, yeah. (laughs) Do ourselves out of a job. (laughs) Will you be successful then? So thank you both for joining us today. I think we could talk about this topic for hours and I'm sure it's one of those things that we will come back and feature in the podcast again in the future. And I really look forward to seeing the difference that design principles make in terms of the world around us in years to come too. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. 
Bentley invites you to gauge your organization's progress by taking one of our going digital assessments. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace if possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com forward slash going hyphen digital hyphen rail.